Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Pratap Ranadeh, CEO and co-founder of Arena, an enterprise decision-making platform that's raised $32 million in funding. Pratap, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, great to meet you, Brett. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started out as a physicist since I was a kid that I thought I wanted to just stay in science, originally inspired by being an astronaut. So I studied physics at Stanford, then went on to my PhD at Columbia, actually dropped out of that. But most of the times, like, you know, all in higher education, like eight years of quantum mechanics, basically, then went completely the other way. So the pendulum swung to the other side. I went to McKinsey. I realized I had zero business background and, and McKinsey was an incredible experience that taught me a lot. And then swung back and basically with one of my grad school roommates, we basically lived in his parents' basement for six months. And as we went through Y Combinator and uh, launched our first company, Kimono, and it was basically, think about it as like a, a very easy to use point and click web scraper. So you know, we had a great experience. We grew it out to about 150,000 users and were then acquired by Palantir a few years later and then founded Arena in um, mid-late 2019. Amazing. And to double click on Palantir there, can you tell us what it was like working at Palantir? Yeah, it was an incredible experience. I think Palantir was a company that it had a lot of appeal to us because they were solving very, very deep enterprise problems and like operating with large scale data for really valuable problems and really valuable companies. And it was incredible to watch what that looked like up close and to learn from that and a totally different type of structure than, you know, what you might expect. So, you know, very kind of flat company, sort of self-organizing global machine. So fascinating place to work. Yeah, I can imagine. I was reading an article about you guys and it called it, uh, what was it, the Palantir Mafia? I think it's how they coined it. The Palantir Pack, I think. <laughs> the Palantir Pack, yeah. It was PayPal Mafia. Nice. Two questions we'd like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as an entrepreneur and as a founder. Uh, what CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? Yeah, that's a great question. Probably it would actually be, yeah, again, this is a little cliche, but going back to Steve Jobs, actually. And I think part of it was, I think it's rare to see someone who has the conviction to imagine something that on that surface really kind of doesn't make sense. And then to finish a product with such a level of kind of obsession and just, I mean, an insane track record of how fundamentally his products have changed the world. I feel like it's inspiring because I feel like as a founder, you have conviction, you have doubt, you're dealing with a lot of these things. And yeah, I think it's impressive to see him really like go through his life ushering in so many new things that are foundational to our everyday lives. So yeah, I'd say it would have to be Steve Jobs. Nice. That's such a good call out. It's really amazing to think about just how good Apple is at building products. Every product I've ever bought from Apple has just been amazing. I don't know why, but I just love it. And yeah, it's crazy that's continued on even after he passed away. It's such a phenomenal company. Totally agree. <laughs> what about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you as a founder? You know, there's a bunch of that. Like, you know, this is the old physicism. I grew up reading a lot of sci-fi. I continue to. And one of the uh, sci-fi authors, you know, there's so many great ones, but Ian Banks, he has this series, the culture series. You know, probably my favorite book from the series is Player of Games. What I love about it is instead of saying, oh, what does the world look like 100 years in the future or 1,000 years in the future? 
it's sort of projecting out like 50,000 years or 100,000 years. And and he, he's gone through such a, a beautiful exercise of, you know, imagining like these knock-on effects. So for example, with AI, machines become more intelligent. There's some threshold at which that becomes sentient. But actually, unlike being a dystopian future, it's an optimistic one. So he really points this picture of how would humans and machines build this kind of a galactic human machine society together. I, I find it gets incredibly inspiring. So yeah, it would be the, the Ian Beck's culture series. You know, that hurts my brain to even think about the world 50,000 years from now, but I'll, I'll have to check that out. We've had a lot of guests come on here. You know, probably 20% of guests come on and say something about a sci-fi book. So I'm going to cave. I'll, uh, I'll check one out. If I check one out, is that the, the book you recommend to start with? Yeah, definitely. I would definitely recommend Player of Games by Ian Banks. All right. Adding it to the list. Now let's dive deeper into Arena. So can you start with just the origin story behind the company? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, my co-founder, Engin, and I, there were a few things we were really excited to build. So I think the benefit of it being the second company is we had a lot of learnings and really set about saying, what do we want to exist in the world? And what is it that we want to keep doing? So you know, forever, like what would be the perfect job for us? So you know, instead of trying to crack the code in terms of what's like a fast way to exit, it was really like, you know, what do we care about a lot? And there were a couple of things and we brought them together to create Arena. So the first thing was global impact. And on global impact, when we thought about it practically, two things stood out, which is one is we'd had a ton of experience, again, both from Palantir and, and even uh, from my time at McKinsey, working with large global companies. And you know, my co-founder is Turkish. Uh, he grew up outside the US. I grew up in India and China. And when you're in some of those parts of the world, you sort of observe the affordability and the access equation of goods and services is really not evenly distributed at all. And you you appreciate the role that these large Fortune 500 companies really play in making sure a basic and luxury goods and services are available to everyone. And I think what we've seen with the internet and software is a beautiful example of what happens when you can distribute and create access for things like that equally. But we can't really do that yet in the physical world. And so when we thought about the enterprise, we said that's a really powerful place to play. And, you know, in terms of the way we think about impact, you know, if you think about the torque, it's like torque in physics, it's like force times your lever arm. And like in many ways, Arena as a company, the enterprise is the lever arm. And so they have this massive scale. And then our force is AI. And basically that's the second piece of it, which is both of us encountered AI, you know, machine learning in like a that's pretty serious way in our PhD programs. And you know, I've been really excited about it as both just general science fiction fans, but also um, observers and practitioners. And what we saw, you know, I mean, the whole world saw this, but over, you know, especially triggered in 2012 with the advent of deep learning and then with another kicker in 2017 with Transformers, it feels like there's a new Moore's law emerging and that the research capabilities of AI are almost on an amazing runaway train. But the gap to the enterprise capabilities is really just widening as a consequence, even though enterprises get better, the gap's getting wider. And so we wanted to bring these two together to deliver autonomy, to take um, you know, decisions that enterprises make in a hierarchical structure, you know, which by definition mean they're very slow and make them autonomous. Because if you think about that in like a very sort of primal way, you know, you have ancient groups of people. We came together, we formed organizations, and you had to pick a leader. Otherwise, that didn't really work very well. And so most of modern enterprises, they still sort of follow that paradigm. And then what we do is we give decision control over to the leader. Then think about what happens to the learning speed of the organization. If you have hundreds or thousands of people across many layers, across many countries, you might have a leader set a strategy 
that broadcasts through the organization, it's implemented. And then maybe six months later, if you're an efficient company or more often 12 months, you're sort of observing the results. And so your learning loop is really slow. But if you can actually automate increasingly large classes of decisions, it means you can push them down to sort of the edge nodes. And now you can learn really fast. So imagine a company that could learn at the speed of like an individual entrepreneur. It basically turns these enterprises into agile giants. And so, so that's sort of like how we started and what it is that we're seeking to do. And where are you seeing the most adoption? What types of enterprises are adopting this? Yeah, it's a great question. So our customer set is uh, mostly in the Fortune 500. The reason for that is they're very large. And as you've seen with the you know, recent advances in AI, large amounts of data and large scale are, are really important to be able to use some of the more sophisticated capabilities. So it's very large companies. And then the second piece is where we started and still where like a lot of the most of the traction is today is applying it to consumer behavior, economic problems. So this basically think about it is on the sales side. So think about autonomous selling. So what are the things you have to do when you're selling a product, either B2B or B2C? You know, it starts with something like pricing, then that pricing leads to promotions, loyalty points, how a product is shown in a digital experience, how it's presented via sales rep. And there's this constellation of different actions. And basically you can take that right action for the right customer at the right time it really boils down to that. And doing that really well is was a really great starting problem for us because the outcome is immediately measurable. It has a direct impact on an enterprise's P&L and you can prove out that it works very quickly. And so that's sort of where we've started. That's where we're having most of the traction. You know, we're lucky enough now that that's going really well and we're starting to expand beyond. And selling to enterprise is tough. What would you say you've you've gotten right here to allow you to see that type of traction? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's always a component of luck and then there's also a component of perhaps strategy. I think a part of this, I would say the learnings that we've had has been, it really, really depends on, you know, ultimately who you're talking to in the enterprise and why they're interested in AI. And I think you think about the vitamin and the painkiller analogy, we've had more of the traction where there's already been a push, often externally driven to say that something becomes necessary. It's sort of decision-making moves out of the realm of what you can do with a human. So for example, if you're selling B2B and you're starting to sell online for the first time, you've been used to having a human sales rep, having a very empathetic, adaptive, and personalized sales relationship, but now you're making that digital. So you lose a lot of that. Whereas if you were starting digitally native, you actually might not be aware of what you're forfeiting. So personalization feels like a vitamin. And so, so that's an example of one of the big things. And then the second one is just you talking to someone who is senior enough, who has decision-making power, because to unlock the full potential of these systems, you know, our software is part of the equation, but to unlock the fully value equation, our biggest customers have seen traction by, after seeing it work in pilots, actually changing their organizational structure a little bit, changing roles to really enable their organization to operate in a in a different way with AI at the heart. And I think that's where we've seen the biggest lift. Interesting. And when it comes to market categories, how do you think about them? I introduced you as an enterprise decision-making platform. Is that what this is or what is your market category? Yeah, it's a great question. I think right now we're calling it enterprise autonomy you know, for ourselves, but I'll try and describe the problem that we solve and how it fits into a category. So maybe the closest adjacent is like something like robotic process automation. So if you took the intelligence away, it's automating rogue processes at an enterprise, right? But the most high value decisions and actions an enterprise makes, they require some human to think about the response. So you're looking at a changing market environment or changing customer or supply uh, constraints, and you're reacting to that in, in a thoughtful way. 
And so for us, those decisions are primarily still in the human realm. And where we've seen a lot of penetration in decision tooling primarily is decision assistance. So tools that are surfacing insights, BI tools, and they're wonderful. They really help you make a better decision. But for us, the explicit mission is going to full automation for a decision and action loop. So, and where we are is there are certain decisions where with recent capabilities and AI that have become possible over the last several years, there's a set of those that you still needed a human in the loop for before that you no longer do. And so that's an expanding set of decisions in our opinion, but it's really that I would say like decision autonomy is kind of what we're driving. And is there a line item that you're taking away from, or is this creating a totally new line item with these organizations that you're selling to? Yeah, so for on the, on the, the P&L side for what's the impact to an organization, the bulk of our work today is actually proves a lift, lift in revenue, lift in profit, you know, ultimately lift in customer lifetime value. And so that's mostly it's additive. I think there's a secondary benefit where you are doing that with less people. But what we've seen actually, and it's been interesting, I mean, when we came in, we were, we expected that with AI, there would be some job displacement, but what we've actually seen, we're really excited about, but it's been a bit surprising for us is much more of the human augmentation. So you're actually able to have a much clearer relationship with human plus machine, creating much more results. And so actually we haven't seen any job displacement at the customers we've worked at so far. And what about other software categories? Are there any other categories that are being displaced because of what you're building the companies that are buying? Are they you know, abandoning legacy categories? It's a great question. I think there's some categories that will grow more and then some that might go away. So, you know, I think with us, obviously like scale of data, integrated data, that's really important. So the more effective our systems are, you know, probably spend on data would probably go up is my supposition. I think mm -hmm. the place where we are removing things is you know, if you had a human looking at a dashboard to make a smarter decision and that decision's now happening at like in a nanosecond automatically, you don't need the dashboard anymore, right? And so a lot of this is actually looking like a lot of our UIs are allowing people to inspect what the AI did and a little bit why it did it and what the impact was, less so around help me make a decision better. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. And what are you doing to really stand out and break through the noise? Would you say just if we look at AI alone, obviously there's a lot of buzz, a lot of hype, especially the last month with chat GPT. I don't think I've ever seen like a business product go so viral. So how are you breaking through the noise and standing out from all that AI buzz and hype? Yeah, it's a great question. And honestly, the answer has almost been for us to have the blinders on. I think there's an incredible amount of hype. Um, we're really excited for what's happening. I think overall, yeah, as I mentioned, 2012 and then 2017, there were sort of major research breakthroughs. And, you know, from our perspective, we've been on a bit of a clear and like nonlinear, almost Moore's law type curve with AI, you know, it's in that sort of deep learning era. But for us, the focus has been almost like, I wouldn't say ignoring it, but really just focusing on our customers. And so 99% of my time is customers and product and execution and impact. And so I think what's nice is, you know, now that these systems really work and when they work at scale, this kind of unequivocal proof on the ROI. And so we've been really focused on just staying close with our customers, you know, going deep with them. So, you know, we haven't really been doing too much in, about trying to stand out in the overall space. Yeah, it hasn't been a focus for us. Got it. Makes sense. And as you probably experienced, bringing innovative technology to market isn't easy and, and go to market is just really tough. So what would you say has been your greatest challenge so far and how did you overcome it? Yeah, I wouldn't even say they've all been overcome. <laughs> I think the two parts of it that are really hard is 
you know, identifying when you are thought of as a painkiller or a vitamin and recognizing that it can switch. So obviously, if we come into an industry where, let's say, a leading player has already adopted autonomy and it started to change the equation, then other players are there. Now it becomes a necessity. So that becomes a great pull for us. The second case is some external macro thing has happened. So you look at like what's happening, you know, with um, the global geopolitics and supply chains moving around. There's a lot of that that's having an impact. And especially as you think about manufacturing and certain capabilities happening now in higher cost countries, it's impossible without automation. And so that's creating a lot of pull for us as well. So I would say that's the first thing that we've learned and I think is definitely helpful. I think one of the risks there is you might find initial traction with an enterprise, but ultimately it's someone who's trying to be in the lead. And that one can almost feel more like a vitamin. So it really comes down to who's the champion and will they drive it through? Because that leads to the second challenge, which is, as I mentioned before, like our software is going to create enormous value, but really the maximum value potential is realized when, you know, the human and the machine figure out a great new way to work together. So if you're doing something like take the autonomous selling stuff that I was talking about earlier, you actually want to rethink how your revenue management team might be operating, how your marketing teams might be operating, how they're integrated with your supply teams so that they can actually benefit at maximum from it. And so you know, that requires some organizational adaptation on their side and definitely like certain types of you know, more visionary, more forward thinking executives are, are great partners. But I would say that's the other thing, which is you know, it's hard to know that as a startup selling outside in. But of course, as we get deeper with customers, we learn that, we find that, and we're building great partnerships. But I would say we don't have a silver bullet for either of these. It's been sort of like hard work, a uh, combination of like perseverance and luck. Nice. Love that. Last question here for you. If we zoom out into the future, what's the three-year vision for the company? Yeah. So I think one is, I mean, obviously growing in size, I think that's like without saying, but I would say specifically in terms of the decision classes that we can run autonomously are expanding. And we're really excited about, like, as I mentioned, we've been doing a lot of the initial work over the last several years has been on the selling side and really like applying our systems to the problem of understanding, you know, buyer behavior, that's individual consumer behavior or a a business to business buying behavior and using that to sell better. But I think one of the things we're really excited about over the next several years is moving into decision classes that are more core to actually you know, creation and manufacturing and getting into sort of the core parts of helping enterprises make the stuff that they sell. And I think there's a lot of really interesting places over there where we're starting to see um, really interesting signs. And I love that because in the long-term vision of the company, we would love to be working with you know more and more foundational industries that are sort of playing a critical role and you know, just pushing our whole civilization forward on problems like advanced manufacturing, energy, a lot of these these things that like can kind of really change, you know, the capability set of what humanity can do. So for us, that puts us on that trajectory. And that's what we're really excited about over the next several years. Amazing. That's super exciting. And unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time to cover for today. But before we wrap up here, if people want to follow on with your journey, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, to track our, come to our website or arenaai.com or arena-ai.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter as Arena AI. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat and talk about what we were building and share this vision. This is all super exciting and we wish you the best of luck in executing on this vision. Thanks so much for having me, Brett. All right, keep in touch. 